Hey everybody, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a, a really good and exciting Figured Out Baseball podcast today. Uh, I guess you could call this our first Figured Out Softball podcast. Uh, it's the first time that we've had a softball coach joining us for a podcast, so I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, we'll see how I do talking to a softball coach, see if I can hold my own here and ask some decent questions. But we're being joined by Paige Knusman. She is the assistant coach uh, and assistant coach at William Peace University, a Division three school in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I'll give you a background on Paige before we jump into questions with her. Uh, she went to Easton High School in Maryland, where her team won two state championships. She played collegiately at Salisbury University from 2013 through 2016. Salisbury is a Division three school in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, she had a really terrific playing career there. Uh, her team played in the National Championship Series every year from 2013 through 15, including 2014, where her team was the national runner-up. In 2015, Paige was named the Salisbury Regional Tournament Most Outstanding Player. She was a first-team all-conference player all four years at Salisbury. She was a two-time first-team All-American she still holds the conference record for career batting average. And for her career, guys, Paige hit 448 for her career, for her four-year career. Pretty amazing. She finished second in conference history with 192 career RBIs. Her senior year, she was a finalist for National Player of the Year as named by the NFCA and Shut. Um, she was a top 25 or a, one of the top 25 finalists for the National Player of the Year. Pretty amazing. Um, she has been coaching since 2017. From 2017 through 2019, she was an assistant coach at Salisbury, her alma mater. Her team in those three years compiled a, a total record of 74 and 45. She helped. Uh, she was in, she assisted with the hitters and catchers there as well as several other things while she was there. The three years that she was at Salisbury as a coach, the offenses, the, the whole team offense hit 320, then 354 and then 324, so three, again, really good offensive seasons for Salisbury when Paige was an assistant coach there. 2020 was her first spring as an assistant coach at William Peace. Um, so, Paige, we're, I really appreciate you spending some time with us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So with most of the podcasts that I do, Paige, I try to start out with something that stands out from, um, from the bio. And for you, obviously, a, an unbelievable playing career at Salisbury, and I think sometimes players that are such good players, sometimes it is challenging to jump into the coaching side of things because you probably had a lot of natural gifts and talents that a lot of your players now don't have, and a lot of things came very easy for you that are challenging um, for players. I know you know, with if, with Major League Baseball, it seems like a lot of the really good managers and coaches were guys that didn't make it very far, guys that made it through, you know, to high A or, or double A, or maybe a guy that made it to the big leagues that wasn't very successful. It seems like the really successful major leaguers, you know, don't often make ma very good major league coaches. I'm just kind of wondering how the transition was for you to go from player to coach, 
and and how that's been for you just to try to learn some of the struggles that uh, a lot of your players have that maybe you didn't necessarily have because you were uh, such a good college player. Um, how has that transition been for you to go from, you know, playing and in, in this, this is your fourth year coaching. How's that transition been for you? Yeah, you know, um, when I first started coaching, it was a difficult transition. Um, I'm very competitive and not being able to, you know, lace, lace up, put your uniform on and go out on game day competing. Um, you know, it was a challenge, especially being with my alma mater still. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've kind of gotten a little bit better at stepping back. I still have to think every day, you know, um, it's not me out there, it's someone else. Um, and being four years removed from it makes it a lot easier. But, um, you know, I, I think if I had been a little bit more open to uh, criticism and instruction when I was a player, maybe I could have been even better. And um, that's what I try and think of now as a coach is, um, you know, not every athlete is going to be completely open with you. Um, you have to find a way to get through to them um, and get their trust. Um, and, you know, I've definitely seen that both at Salisbury and now at William Peace. So, How much did Coach Knight, who was the head coach at Salisbury when you were there and a legendary softball coach, how much did did she impact your career? You, and you said that if you had maybe been open to more criticism there, I mean, you coached for somebody who was uh, just a, a really, really well-known, really, really successful softball coach, a longtime softball coach. How much did she have an impact on you as a coach? So, like, now that you're you're coaching and you're looking back at what your playing experience was like and, and your experiences with Coach Knight, how much um, did that experience help to shape you as a coach and how you go about things now? Oh, yeah, tremendously. I mean, um, going all the way back to high school, my high school – my second set of high school coaches one of them actually played for coach Knight, so I kind of got indoctrinated in the Salisbury way a little bit earlier than some people would have um got to Salisbury I actually um I guess you could consider me a walk-on I did not commit to them um I was into the spring season of my senior year and had no idea what I was doing for college and um you know I was really kind of getting nervous I was down to the wire we were approaching graduation and my parents just kind of looked at me and said, you know, you need to think about a state school, someplace that, you know, might be a good option for you. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up at Salisbury with Coach Knight. And um, looking back, I always say it was one of the best decisions that ever happened to me and for me. Um, I mean, how many people can say they had a career like I did where they got to go compete for a national championship every year and um, got to be a, mo a part of every moment almost? Um, you know, I, I walked in, got to play as a freshman, um, not not everybody can say that, and I earned that time. Um, you know, Coach Knight, she was tough. She was – I definitely did not get along with her as well as I probably should have as a player. You know, um, it's tough when coaches see something in you that they know they can bring out of you and make you better. They find ways to push buttons and get you to push yourself past your limits. And I think that's the one thing Coach Knight was really good at was being able to find that one thing that just – made players go above and beyond to prove her wrong um, or prove just anyone wrong, you know, to say that I deserve to be out here competing and that I've earned this position. Um, you know, so she she gave me an opportunity to be her grad assistant coming out of school. Um, I learned so much from her, um, a completely different side of the game than I did as a player. You know, I got to play multiple positions for her as a player. I came in as a third baseman and really only um, DH'd my first two years. Um, you know, one of my teammates beat me out for the third baseman position. She had earned the position. I didn't. 
Um, and, and that was a tough adjustment in the beginning, but to still be able to contribute on the other half of the game was great. And then by the time I was a junior, you know, I was on the other end of the field off the other corner at first base, and then senior year came, we didn't have a catcher really, and next thing you know, I was catching again. So uh, to be able to step up and learn from Coach Knight and those, those positions in college and then be able to apply that in the coaching realm really gave me the jump start that I needed. So do you have similar conversations now with players? I mean, maybe it wasn't, maybe not so much at Salisbury. I know you just finished your first year at William Peace. But are those conversations that you feel like you can have with your players now just when someone comes in and um, maybe they don't, they're not in the role they want to be as a freshman or a sophomore or whatever it is? Uh, do you think that's an experience you can relate to and just say, hey, I was there but this is what you have to do to get what you want. Uh, I mean, do you feel like that experience helped you to be able to have that conversation with other players in the future? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I try and be very open with my players. You know, if, if I'm off a day, I try and, like, make sure that they know that, hey, like, I'm, I'm sorry about this. Like, I'm going to be better tomorrow, and I'm trying to hold myself to a high standard. I hold them to high standards. And, um, you know, being younger, um, I'm not so close in age that they don't respect me, but they can still relate to me. Um, you know, I've, I've earned the respect that I, I know that they have for me, um, especially after this past season. 2020 has been so tough on most spring programs and all athletic programs in general. But, um, you know, planning practices and being out there every day and putting the time in, um, you know, I, I think I can be a little bit more open and have those conversations with them and say, hey, like, I know that this might be, not be what you're hoping for right now but do it now and maybe you'll get to where you want to be next year or in a couple weeks from now even. So Coach Knight, um, for people, anyone that's not familiar, it's Margie Knight. She has better than an 800 career win percentage at Salisbury, which is incredible, 800, more than 800 wins in her career, uh, you know, incredible, incredible numbers. Did she give you any advice when you started as – uh, as a grad assist, and I'll give you just an example of this, and I've said this in one other podcast before, I believe, but when I first started coaching, one of the other, well, the other assistant coach on the staff of my first job, uh, one of the things that he told me early in my career, because I didn't say much as a player, I was the same as you, I started coaching where I played, I wasn't nearly as good as you, so most of the guys around me were better than I was, and all of a sudden I was coaching them, and that was a little bit of a weird transition. But when I went out to work some camps in the summer, that was something I was going to try to do just to learn more and to get my name out there and, like, meet some people and whatnot. One of the other assistant coaches that I worked with basically said, Jeff, when you go out this summer, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. You know, let people notice you by how hard you're working. Keep your mouth shut and your ears open and just work as hard as you can and catch people's attention that way. And that was something I will never forget. And, uh, and some of the best advice I got as a young coach. Did Coach Knight have anything for you when you first started? Like just knowing what your personality was like as a player and then you're going to be transitioning to a coach, you know, obviously at the alma mater where you just played with a lot of these people. Did Coach Knight or anybody else on staff have any words of wisdom for you that sort of helps you get your feet on the ground? Cool. Well, I don't even know if I can narrow it down to just one. Um, I mean, I've known Coach Knight for going on eight years now, so it's, it's been a while. Um, I can't say that she gave me one specific, but I mean, I, I was literally just talking to her last week and discussing, hey, this, you know, I, I told her about coming on this podcast and she was like, that's great, blah, blah. Um, 
I mean, she constantly gives me advice all the time. You know, I'll call her just for the smallest thing, say, hey, what would you do in this situation? Um, how do you think I should approach this topic? So I don't know if there's one specific piece, but, I mean, she just serves as a mentor in general. It's funny how you end up having a better relationship with your coach when you leave, right? And that was the same with me. Uh, again, go back to my college days. I didn't think – I didn't have a great relationship with my college coach. I, I honestly didn't think that he liked me. I didn't think that – he had a lot of respect for how for how I did things, but then as soon as I graduated, he offered me a position on on the staff, and then you know I have a better relationship probably now, and it's been I don't know 13 years since I since I was there. I, I probably have a better relationship with him now than I did even at that time, and and he's someone that I can you know be pretty open and honest with and ask him about some certain things and get his opinion. But it's funny how that stuff happens, um, and I and I would say that it's, it sounds like it was the same for you. So when you at what point did you kind of flip the switch where, or maybe it was even in your playing days, but you said that, that, that Coach Knight was tough on you and, and that uh, there were things that she thought she could get out of you. At what point did the flip did the switch sort of um, flip that that your relationship started to get better, you started to be able to just to talk to her and trust her and have a just have a more open relationship with her? Was it when you started coaching or was it when, was it some point during your playing career? Yeah, and I think I always, um, I think as I grew under her, like, you know, got into my later years, junior, senior year, my respect for her grew. I mean, you can't not respect the woman. She She's proven over and over again that she deserves to be at the top of the game, you know, top of the Hall of Fame board. I mean, just the staff teams would put up, our power numbers, just the wins in general and the amount of trips to the World Series and, and the national championship, excuse me. Um, but... I mean, yeah, I definitely think it probably switched more when I was a coach. Um, you know, she and I, she did a great job keeping the boundary of coach and player separate. You know, it never bled into the friend, like, category, which is what you need to be successful. You can't be your player's friend. You have to be their coach. You have to be able to correct them and push them and um, get that burning drive out of them. Um, and you're not going to do that by, you know, patting someone on the back and saying, oh, we'll get it the next time, you know. Um, so I, I definitely think the respect was always there, um, but it doesn't always mean that I had to like or enjoy or agree everything that um, she decided as a player. I just had to do it and respect that and know that it was for the best interest of the team. Um, and as I got to be a coach and came on her staff, I, I got privileged to the inside scoop, I guess you could say. You know, She would have more conversations about why she was doing what she was doing or um, you know, she might come to the coaching staff and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or who do you think we should go with today, this person or this person? You know, and I, the one thing I really respect about her is she always let me have my opinion. You know, even as a first-year or second-year coach, she always took my opinion into account. And sometimes she listened to it and sometimes she didn't. You know, that was ultimately her decision to make. Um, but my relationship with her now is so polar opposite from what it was as a player. You know, I didn't just drop into the office just to talk and hang out, you know. Um, I went to her if I needed something or, you know, I needed to get something done for her. And I showed up to the practice field and game field. And I think um, I was definitely a perfectionist, uh, as I, I think a lot of talented athletes are. Um, you know, you, you want to see results immediately and you just won't stop until you get those results. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, my, my I guess my relationship with Coach Knight definitely became closer and more solidified as I became a coach. Now that you're coaching, Paige, do you want to do you want to be the type of coach 
that Coach Knight was, meaning from what from what I'm gathering from you, just be you know pretty hard on players and, and like expecting a lot. And, and I mean that in a good in a in a very good way. You know, expecting a lot out of players, uh, being able to look at a player and realize when you can get more out of them and how to do that, and and not having such a maybe the most friendly type of relationship while people are on campus, but knowing that just like your relationship did that later on your relationship can get better and you can sort of, you know, when you have a player on campus, you have a player that you need to treat that player like a player, not like a friend. This is, I'm, I'm trying to coach you. I'm trying to get the best out of you. And, but when that player graduates and even just goes off into their regular life or becomes a coach or whatever, then those, uh, those boundaries can come down a little bit. Is that the kind of coach that you want to be, or do you want to be more of a player-friendly type of coach where you have a better personal relationship with players when they're on campus? Have you thought much about that? Do you kind of have an idea of what you want to be there? Yeah, I mean, um, being at William Peace this year, I mean, Coach Dobbins has been great. He's kind of let me have free reign. You know, um, I bring up an idea up to him, and he lets me kind of run with it. Um, it's been great. It's a completely different experience than what I had at Salisbury. Um, Salisbury, I was more sit back and listen um, and learn, and now I can actually be a more take a more active role in the day-to-day happenings of you know, our program here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would like to say I want to be my own coach. You know, Coach Knight is Coach Knight. I can't be Coach Knight, you know. And um, I've had that question asked a lot, um, especially as she was going through retirement this year. Um, I don't want to be Coach Knight. I want to be Coach Page. I, I want to be able to uh, be here for the players, you know, if they need something. I'm, like I said, I'm closer in age to them, so I don't think, I'm at a point in my career where I can demand that level of respect that she could then command it on the field. Um, I want to be that person that if, if something comes up, I'm the first person they call because they just don't know what to do about it. Or, um, you know, on the flip side, be able to push them. But I want to push them in my own way that I know that, like I said, they respect me. The respect is mutual. We both know we're working toward a common goal, and we're going to figure out a way to get there. So what do you want to accomplish in your coaching career? Um, I, I, you're, you're very young. You're only in your fourth year of coaching. You know, what, what, are some, what do some of your goals look like? You seem like a person that's pretty that, – that's driven and that, um, that you know where you want to go. You're, it seems like you're that way as a player. Um, I'm going to guess you're that way as a coach as well. Where do you want to go with your coaching career, Paige? What do you want to get out of coaching? I mean, the sky's the limit. Uh, you know, personally – Right now, my first goal is to um, be a head coach. You know, I want to run my own program, make the shots, like, you know, make the calls, um, do the lineups. You know, I've been able to at least have a taste of that this year. Um, You know, we run a developmental program, um, so we'll play an extended season um, in the spring more than just our traditional 40-game season in um, Division Three softball. Um, we played about 10, 12 extra games, and um, fortunately, I, I've had the opportunity to coach those and make the lineup and make the decisions. Um, so it's given me that little bit of taste of um, moving up the chain, if you want to say. Um, but yeah, that's my goal: is I want to run my own program. I want to be a young, successful head coach. I'll, you know, unfortunately, a national championship title escaped me when I was playing, and that's definitely on my list to accomplish at some point in my career and um, being in the division three model I think it gets taken for granted a lot um, not being on scholarship as student athletes um, 
But I think the players are overlooked a lot because a lot of them are there because they want to be there and not because they need the money for tuition or because they have to be there because they've been given a scholarship. They're doing it strictly because they love the game, they want to be a part of it, and they're going to work hard to make it happen. Um, and, you know, that's something I'm very passionate about. It's, it's not some place that I thought I would be. You know, I thought I would end up in a D1 program somewhere. I, I know I was talented enough to do it, but I'm really glad I did um, you know, I got to have an experience in college that not a lot of kids can say. Um, I got to work through college, you know, be involved in different organizations. And um, that's something that's very near and dear to my heart is the Division Three model. And, you know, if God willing, I'd love to be able to stay in this division and um, be at the top of the game. So for people that aren't that familiar with the Division Three model, can you just talk about what just expand on what you just started to say there, just why you like it so much, why you're so passionate about it, um, and the difference from what you've seen between the Division Three level and some other levels. Um, can you just talk about why you're such a fan of the Division Three level and just why, why you think there maybe it's, you know, why it's a level that you want to stay at and, and, and have a lot of success in? Yeah, you know, um, like I said, it, it, they, their model is student first, student athlete. So, um, Athletes that attend Division three institutions cannot receive funding just strictly on their athletic abilities. Um, it, it's all merit-based, so what they did in school with their GPA, what they do with their SAT and ACT scores, um, and then also some of it is need-based, you know, um, you know, you know how much your parents make, you know, what type of situation you are at home, whether you're a single parent versus a double parent household. That all plays into effect as well. But um, traditionally, it's merit-based. Um, and I love that. You know, you can't just skate by just on your athletic abilities. You know, most of us, I think the saying is we're all going pro in something other than sports later in life. Um, and that's 100% what Division three is. You know, not very many get past. Um, the college level to play further than that, and they know that that their their eyes are not on you know staying in the sport forever unless they're looking into coaching. They're looking more into the medical field. You know, a lot of players I played with at Salisbury went on to be nurses. You know, Salisbury was known for um, being one of the best nursing programs on the East Coast. Um, phenomenal women have gone through the program. You know, through many of our sports programs and um, they're now giving back now in the community and they would never have had that opportunity if it wasn't for Division 3 softball. You know, yes, you'll, you'll miss um, practices here and there, but they were always on game day and most of them finished with high academic uh, numbers. So, um, you know, the Division 3 model is definitely more about living your life as a college student. You know, you get to work, hold jobs down, you can go hang with friends on weekends. Uh, traditionally, what we do for softball as a spring sport is we have five weeks of practices in the fall. Um, you can fit 16 practices in within those five weeks, no more, no less. Uh, and then you get no more than four hours a day to work with the team. Outside of those five weeks, we're, we, we're hands-off. We, really, we can communicate with them. We can say, hey, how you doing? But we can't be out on a field with them coaching them. Can't run hitting drills indoors. And... Um, when it comes to strength conditioning, that's completely voluntary outside of five So you kind of have to cross your fingers and hope your players are motivated enough to put the time in when you're not watching them. Um, and when it comes time for the spring season, um, our coaching staff knows exactly who did the work and who did. It's evident when they're out on the field of who got better, who got stronger, um, who's not injured is another way. You know, if they've been putting the work in 
when you haven't been with them, more than likely their, their bodies are going to hold up better when we get into the, you know, six days a week practice schedule. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, Division three has given me everything and more, um, and now it's given me a coaching opportunity, too, pretty full-time here with a great person. Coach Dobbins is pretty um, well-known in the softball world, too. So, um, will I move into other divisions later on in life? I don't know. Maybe um, depends on what opportunities come my way. But right now, um, I want to get back to the division that has given me so much. So, I think uh, one of the, whether it's fair or unfair, one of the ways that people see Division Three is that because of the restrictions in games and practice days, that it's not as not as competitive. You don't have the uh, as competitive of people there. And I'm not asking. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to in any way insult anybody. But I want you to be able to talk about it. Uh, I think sometimes people look at Division Three like, well, anybody can play at Division Three, and it's not that competitive of a level. I mean, you played for nationally ranked teams, teams that had a chance to win a national championship. Could you just talk about the competition level, you know, among your teammates, uh, among you know, b- between your team and other teams, just to give people again a, a better understanding of Division Three sports when, uh, you know, unfairly people who are not that familiar with Division Three might say. You know, might have a, a, a perspective about it where again it's not it's not as competitive they, they really limit the number of practices and games so it's just it's it's kind of um, you know it's a way to stay involved it's a way to keep playing but it's not necessarily a really competitive level can you just talk about that and your experience with that and how competitive uh, your team was and, and other teams you were competing against yeah definitely I mean uh, like I said myself personally our division three institution um, most of our athletic programs were national championship contenders. I mean, our men's lacrosse team, I believe, has 12 national championships now. Um, I mean, so one of the most decorated programs across the country for any athletic um, program. Um, our field hockey team has won several. I mean, my first three years at Salisbury, all four of our spring sports went to the national championship. I mean, we had representatives from men's and women's tennis. We had a track and field um athlete who won 11 national titles individually. Um, baseball and softball were both at the final eight. Um, so, I mean, I don't think, I definitely think the label of being not as competitive or anybody can play there is false. It's misleading. Um, but, of course, I had that same outlook on it when I was going through the recruiting process. I mean, it's kind of pushed down your throats to feel that way about it, and it's just now starting to change with the more um, active role coaches take and work in clinics and going to tournaments. You know, you're starting to see a different model when you're out at showcases where I've been able to be a part of a couple where you're actually out on the field with the athletes. So you're coaching them, but you're still getting to evaluate them. Um, but, you know, being able to bring good quality athletes, them seeing you as a coach and not for your division um, is what it's about is making the connection with the recruit. And the more you start to bring in those top-tier recruits, the lesser program will emulate that ideology of everyone seeing Division Three as just the bottom of the barrel. Um, I mean, it's been growing since even I was a freshman. I mean, and from 2013 to now, um, you'll see a lot of conference opponents, their wins and loss records are starting to um, even out or jump more toward the win column. Um, I mean, statistically-wise, um, games are tighter. Um, not as high scoring on one end versus another. I mean, my personal experience, I got to play with, um, I, I think, six separate All-Americans during my playing tenure. Um, got to play with the National Catcher of the Year my freshman year. Um, my senior year, myself and two other teammates were both first-team All-Americans, and 
all three of us batted over 400. So I think all three of us could have easily played at another level, whether it's D2 or D1, but would we have had as big of an impact on the game or the program if we had done that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, can't really say for sure, but I do know our program would have definitely beaten up on some D1 programs. So, I mean, I think you need to look at the school for the school. You know, do you like the institution? If softball wasn't a factor or any sport, would you still be going there? Would you still be happy there? Um, and I definitely think with COVID now and um, kind of the dead period that the Division One schools have experienced, um, and D2 as well, but mostly D1 and will be experiencing until December, is really going to swing recruits toward looking more into D3, you know, it's going to change their whole perspective because there won't be the numbers available that there have been in the past at the D1 and D2 level. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a great way to put it in, in great perspectives. And I, I've always, just talking with kids that I try to help point in the right direction, which I still do now. I'm, a, I'm an associate scout. I was a high school coach for a little bit. And just try to help families and, and kids to understand sometimes just the recruiting process and to help them make the right decisions. And I think what you said about having the impact on the program, like I, I just don't think that can be overstated enough. I know I've said that before in other podcasts, but I think it's so important as a player to realize how much more fun you're going to have if you play a big role on a team. Uh, and it's just, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's fact. So if you could have, if you could have gone to a Division One, but you you would have been on a 35-man roster, you'd have been one of the bottom couple of you know in the bottom five of that roster, and wouldn't have had a big role. Whereas your other your other options are going to Division Two II or Three, uh, that's still a, a good competitive level, but where you'd have a chance to have a bigger impact. Um, I think in a lot of cases, most people are personally more happy where they can go and have a bigger role in the team. And I think it's a great uh, recruiting tool that I'm sure you use when you are uh, talking with prospective student-athletes is like, hey, you can come here and be have a chance to be an all-conference player or you can go to the, this other, this you know, a higher level and, and maybe play a little bit and just say you went there, but I think you're going to have a bigger impact here. And I think that for people that really look internally and see what they want out of their playing career, I think everybody, I think most people want to win and I think most people want to play. And if you're not doing both of those things, I'm not sure that it's, you're going to have the best career that you feel like you could have. Um, I'm interested. Oh, totally, pa- I agree. Go ahead, Paige. No, no, no. I was just going to say I agree with that statement. I mean, um, and uh, another factor, too, is, um, you know, I went to school somewhat close to home, you know, the Division Three near me, Salisbury. Um, it, it was about an hour from where I grew up. Both of my parents were alum and um, were alumni, and um, surprisingly, my sister ended up there, too, and played soccer, so we're a family of seagulls. Um, we played the maroon and gold, and that wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't taken a step back and considered a possibility that wasn't necessarily on my mind prior, and um, I, I think, again, that's why I really believe in the Division Three mentality. Um, it's not just for the bottom of the barrel. It's for kids that want to compete and want to make a difference and change, and um, I'm really glad to say that I made that decision. I'm interested to go back in the last couple of minutes that we have here to go back to your 
um, you as a high school player making the decision to go to Salisbury, you know, what other options did you have in front of you? And, and, and I'm just, I'm curious to know how you, you know, what, what was it just because your parents were alums or was it something else about Salisbury? But what are, I'd like to know what other options you had uh, to really consider as a starting point to this line of questioning. Yeah, you know, um, I, I got into high, I didn't start travel ball until I was late into eighth grade. So I was kind of behind the curve, you would say, for a lot of people. I mean, people are starting kids in travel ball as early as eight years old now, which is kind of shocking to me. Um, I, I guess there's varying levels of commitment to, you know, the travel sports, whether you're eight years old and playing, you're, you're telling yourself you're playing travel ball twice a year, you know, in tournaments versus every weekend, um, you know, and being later in the process, it kind of uh, backed up my timeline of progression. Um, I, I wouldn't say I really came into my own swing until I was maybe a, a junior or senior in high school, um, which is very late. I mean, your your junior year is your biggest year um, when you're being looked at for schools. And um, I made this transition early into 18U, which is great. It got me in front of uh, better competition early and uh, more challenging pitching and hitting. Um, and that's what you need to do. You need to play with the best to beat, to beat them. And, um, you know, as my junior year was not what I would hoped it had been. Um, I kind of didn't play as well as I would have liked. Um, I was really, I didn't really know much about the recruiting process in general. Neither of my parents were athletes. Uh, so we were kind of going to the massive showcase camp that tournament. Um, not necessarily committing time to go to institutions that I necessarily wanted to go to or were interested in. And I think that was where it kind of lost me a little bit. Um, you know, looking back, maybe if I had narrowed down a couple schools that I really, really wanted to go to and put time and energy into going to their camps. Um, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, you know, I got into senior year. I was emailing a few schools. They were, you know, reaching back. And then once they'd find out I was a senior in the fall year they you know they were like oh we're full already for your class this that um back then we were still getting letters from schools you know this is 2011 and 12 we were still in the email world but i was getting letters from schools you know some d1 um and i really wanted to go south you know uh, you watch on tv growing up little kid as a little girl you know you're watching florida alabama georgia compete on tv with some of the pac-12 schools out west um, and you think, man, I want to go. I want to go to those schools. I want to be a part of that program, that culture. Um, and it's it's unrealistic for a lot of kids. You know, um, I probably would not have even had a shot at walking on to any of those institutions, despite you know my playing career and the stats I was able to put up. Those institutions are some of the top of our game, and that's what we emulate and strive for as players and coaches. Um, but that's where I think my mindset was past what it should have been. I wasn't realistic with myself, and I didn't really have anybody sitting there checking me saying, you know, like, why don't we redirect your thought process and your, you know, schools you're looking at toward this route. Um, so that's kind of what pushed me into the spring of senior year. Um, I had applied to all the institutions that I wanted to go to, got into all of them, but it would have been more like I'd have to walk on the softball teams there. Several were Division One schools down here in the South. Um, and one day my parents looked at me and said, Paige, like, it's not, you're not going to be getting enough um, academic money. We don't want you going to debt for the rest of your life, um, especially if you're not getting a softball scholarship. 
um, you need to look at more affordable options um, in state. And that's kind of when I started coming through. You know, Salisbury would have been a great option at the time. Um, like I said, my high school coach played for Coach Knight, so I had a little bit of a connect there. Um, I knew of the coaching staff just through um, mutual friends and, you know, playing high school, one of the assistant coach's daughters played against us all the time. So we got to kind of see the coaching staff in other situations. Um, but mostly it was just my parents making a, a good adult decision for their young daughter who didn't know what she was doing and saying, you need to think in the future. You know, th their biggest thing was they didn't want me coming out of college with more than a car payment first. And Salisbury being an in-state Division three institution, is actually cheaper than a lot of kids would get, even with scholarship money going to a D1 or D2 level. So, you know, for me, that was the best fit for me at the time. Like I said, I didn't think it would be. I had no intention of originally going to Salisbury, and looking back, it, I, I will still stand by this. It's one of the best decisions I ever made, and it changed my life. Your... I'm so glad that you just that you're talking about this because I think that your experience is so similar to what so many people experience. They just they kind of don't know what to do. They don't know the, they don't understand the process that well. They're not uh, they're not being recruited by a ton of schools. They're not quite sure what steps to take. You know all the all these things that you experienced and and they're getting some interest from some high level schools. Um, and I think in some cases. You know, people are offered like a 25% scholarship or something like that, but they don't realize what you put together that, okay, going to this in-state school is still cheaper than going to this out-of-state school on a 25% scholarship. So if the if the bottom line is that important, I really need to consider, you know, this in-state school that might not be as high profile of a place, but it's going to allow me to come out of here without, you know, without being up to my elbows in debt which I think is a, it's a really big deal for a lot of people, a lot, something a lot of people experience now. And uh, I'm sure that the experiences they have at these, at a lot of really, you know, really giant schools, I'm sure it's pretty cool. I'm sure there's a lot of things that are exciting about it. But I also know that when, you know, when you graduate, as you know, and those, you start having to pay those student loans off, you're going to be pretty happy that when you make decisions that uh, keep those, loans to a minimum. Um, I, I am curious on the softball side of things. I, I'm not that familiar with this, you know, with the softball recruiting timeline. And this may be the last question I've got for you. Um, someone that was on your timeline that doesn't, that starts playing travel ball a little bit late, that doesn't have a great junior year uh, and really comes on as a senior, are, are there still opportunities for someone in you know, the 2020 world that we're in, you know, maybe take COVID out of it because COVID is, is making a lot of things strange with rosters in general. But, like, do you still, do you and other coaches that you know still recruit people that are in their senior year? Like, are, are there, is there still an opportunity for someone that's in their senior year and is not, has not yet made a commitment and is sitting there maybe panicking? Like, is that too, absolutely too late? Or are there still opportunities that are out there for someone that's in that position? Because I know on the baseball side of things, like a lot of times if kids don't commit, if people go into like spring of their junior year and they haven't committed yet, or especially if they go into summer after junior year before senior year and they're not committed, like it's total panic for them. They're like, oh, my gosh, this, right. everybody I know is committed. It's, it's too late for me. And anybody that I've had that conversation with, I'm like, 
there's there's still something out there for you. Like, what's that like in the softball world, and what's the what's the recruiting timeline look like for you and for other schools that you're familiar with? Yeah, it, it's kind of unfortunate because it puts so much added pressure on kids that are just kids. Like, I mean, I don't understand. I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, when I was a sophomore, junior, and we're expecting freshmen some now to make these major life-changing decisions. And, um, you know, softball went through a huge overhaul. I believe it was two years ago. They pushed um, the timeline back which Division One coaches could talk to student-athletes. I'm not 100% sure on all of the rules just because um, in Division Three we don't have the same set of guidelines. We have a little bit more flexibility. Um, but, I mean, I think kids just need to take a step back while they're going through the process and, and, and try and relax, like take a deep breath. Um, they're not the only ones. I was out this summer and saw at least 10 to 15 2020s in just the few tournaments I went to that were uncommitted. Um, yes, I'm sure COVID did aggravate the situation some, but, you know, the seniors still had three other years. It would, it would be the junior class I would be expecting that more out of because they lost their junior high school season and many lost the travel season. Um, I think the biggest thing is just um, getting involved. Like, once you do make that jump into travel ball or the recruiting process, um, and if you think you're a little behind, invest more time into you personally. Maybe don't spend as much money into, like, the highest level of travel ball. Put more money into your personal growth. Get, get strength conditioning coaches. Get a hitting coach and go see them on a regular basis until you've kind of refined your skills enough to maybe – say goodbye to that aspect on a regular basis and just check in with your heading coach once in a blue moon. Um, I think just being open to your opportunities as well. Like I said, I think my personal situation, a lot of the problem of me not being committed at an early enough time was just me. Like I was very picky. and um, Like I said, I think I had unrealistic expectations um, at a portion of my recruiting journey. And uh, I think as kids are going into this year, um, their senior years, if they were juniors this past year, even rising juniors. Um, it's just understanding what you want out of your college experience and being open to talking to the coaches. I mean, I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago on Twitter, um, just, uh, you know, having open conversations with coaches and showing that you really care about their institution and that you've done research enough to understand, like, okay, your school is 1,000 students versus this school is 8,000 students. I'm not looking for the 8,000 kids school. I'm looking for the 1,000 kids school. So that's why I know your institution is a good fit for me. I'm more likely to pay attention to a kid that's put that time and effort into an email. It shows that they actually want to be a part of our institution, what our culture is, instead of just the blanket email maybe coming from a recruiting service or that they've CC'd, blind copied 100 different coaches into just to send it out there. Um, and I think that's the biggest misconception is it's not as many coaches as you contact, it's who you contact and how often, like, how the relationship is built with that coach that you contact. Um, so that would be my biggest piece of advice is just make sure you're investing time on you and make sure you're own. You are your own advocate because even travel coaches don't know what they're doing. I mean, I was out a lot this summer talking to coaches, asking for brochures, and there's a lot of coaches that don't have um, contact info ready to go for their kids. And how are you going to get recruited if you don't have contact info for them? So being your big, your own advocate is a big one. It was amazing to me. So I, I typically, as a when I do my scouting, I typically go out and watch high school baseball, but there was no high school this year. So I went out and saw some travel baseball this summer. And you go ask for a coach for a roster, and it, like, it's, it astounds me that some of these organizations that have been around for a long time, they don't carry a roster around with them with accurate player numbers 
and right. contact information. Like, how am I supposed to know who anybody is or, like, how to get a hold of anybody here? Like, there was, there was one tournament that I went to that the coach took a picture of – of, of a roster for me and like I couldn't yeah. it was too blurry I couldn't see like I couldn't sell is that an eight or a nine on that jersey number I don't know who I'm looking at right now and it was very frustrating to me and uh but I want to point out something else Paige that you said that I think is extremely important that uh I don't think enough people put enough thought into is is you know putting time in investing in yourself so often at early ages parents are spending inordinate amount of, amounts of money playing travel baseball and softball when at those younger ages, you really should put any money that you've got into just developing yourself and developing your skills and wait to play on that elite travel team, like you said. Wait to go to the showcases until you're ready. And at, 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 at younger ages, spend the money on just developing your skills. And there, there's I just I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to spend a, you know tons of money on travel on a, on a great travel team when you're not either you're too young to be seen or you're not ready to be seen. Like if you're not the best player you can be, why do you want to showcase yourself? If you still have room to get better. Right. I'm getting emails. I I literally got an email yesterday from a 2025 kid. I mean, she's, that makes her what a seventh grader, eighth grader. It's it's shocking to me. I'm like, I I was thinking about what I was going to do that night for dinner or who I was going to go see for a friend at that point in my life, you know, I hadn't even started playing travel ball. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is just, like, let kids be kids. And that was what the biggest push in um, softball side of things was to try and allow them more time to make those life-changing decisions and not rush to get them done in their freshman and sophomore year because everyone else is doing that, too. So, I, I mean, it's put more time into you. Enjoy the game. Learn the, learn the game. That's the biggest thing is just learn about the game, whatever your sport is at an early age, put time into the proper mechanics to prevent injuries, and then once you get to that high school time, then start investing time and money in the travel ball, because if I had started when I was in 6th or 7th grade, man, I would have been so burnt out. I mean, I was burnt out by the end of my senior year when you're going over half of the weekends in a year somewhere across the country. I mean, we flew probably four or five times a year. We were driving five to six hours on a regular weekend, and you'd be gone Thursday through Sunday. And then maybe Tuesday you had practice. So, I mean, that's, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. It's just um, making sure you're investing time into you early on. Paige, this has been awesome. This is uh, Paige Knusman, everybody. She is an assistant coach at William Peace University in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is our first figured out baseball slash softball podcast. And Paige, it's been really, really enjoyable. This has been great. I've really appreciated uh, just uh, your insight and and just the perspective you've got and all the time that you gave us today. So, Paige, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, Jeff, thank you. I mean, thanks for allowing me to share my insight and perspective on the game.